This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is uh, Sam Wolf. I'm the CFO of Sticks and Sushi, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 242. automating the more routine, repeatable, transaction-oriented types of tasks or jobs, and it quote-unquote frees up time to add more value to the enterprise. And that's the area that we need to hone in on. What specifically does that mean? And you don't see as much written about that part, because that's the hard part. Uh, our, you know, we have a great um, reputable profession, a storied uh, profession, you know, grounded ethics, but agility and change are not necessarily what we're known for. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we're pleased to have Jeff Thompson, President and CEO of the Institute of Management Accountants, joining us. The invasion of the robots is here, but how is it going to impact the traditional career path for accounting and finance professionals? And is this robotic process automation truly a catalyst for finance professionals to move on and evolve into new roles as they discover new ways to bring value to the business. We ask these questions and more to Jeff after these words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Hello, we're speaking to Jeff Thompson, President and CEO of the Institute of Management Accountants, the IMA. Jeff, welcome. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you with us. Not to mention, uh, not a moment too soon, uh, we hear the uh, the robots are here and they're about to take over the uh, the back office. When it comes to the traditional accounting and finance career paths, what, what do you see happening? Well, Jack, I see continuous evolution, uh, which on one hand creates a challenge to the traditional accounting and finance functions but on the other hand, gives us incredible opportunity as professionals, organizations, and the profession to seize opportunity. You know, I recall when I was at um, AT&T in the uh, crazy era of uh, telecom competition um, that uh, I was very proud to be named CFO of an $18 billion business unit. 
And my boss, uh, this was uh, going back a decade and a half, maybe a little bit more, said, guess what, Jeff, you're a, you're, you're a business partner. You're a strategic business partner. I'm like, what? What, what, what does exactly does that mean? Um, I thought I was an accountant. Uh, closing the books, filing the statutory reports, sound foundation of ethics, and all that good stuff. And, you know, this, so this business partnering model where uh, the CFO team is the minimum uh, table stakes, I would argue for the CFO team in industry today is the financial accounting, uh, closing the books, um, sound internal controls, no material weaknesses, significant deficiencies, the list goes on and on. But to be an exemplar in the CFO role, you have to have knowledge and awareness and experience in strategy, in operations, in technology, uh, even in HR um, and influencing. So, and now with the robots coming, as we're going to be talking about, it, it raises the bar even more uh, in the area of seizing the opportunity to leverage this new asset called robotics and, and AI. So. Lots of challenge to the profession, and it's up to us whether we choose to make it opportunity uh, to really sustain and grow the influence of this great profession. What are the types of experiences or even skill sets that are going to be required to continue on this path as it, as it evolves? Well, Jack, the way I like to look at it at a high level, and then I'll cascade just a little bit more uh, for, for the audience, um, you know, I, I like to think of the CFO, and when I say CFO, I mean the CFO team in industry. Um, I like to think about four lines of sight. Uh, two lines of sight are the kind of the traditional expectation, uh, but their two others are more progressive in this whole business partnering and trusted business advisor. So the two expected ones uh, in terms of line of sight are oversight and hindsight. Um, so oversight over funding, you know, uh, business cases, and then, of course, hindsight is accurately, fairly, and ethically reporting on the financial and oftentimes non-financial condition of the business. But the two evolving um, lines of sight, if you will, are insight and foresight. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times I've been in board meetings, whether it's AT&T or IMA, uh, where I, I get the routine, uh, here's the actual, here's the budget, here's the variance. I mean, look, a robot can, quite candidly, a robot can do that today. What I need is the insight and the foresight. What action should I take? What intervention should I make? What should I stop doing? So the skill sets that enable all of that are influencing skills, leadership, uh, a culture of challenge, um, the ability to uh, convert information into insight, data to decisions, which requires um, additional analytical capabilities, uh, being able to ask the right questions of uh, partners, of machines. So it is really, um, I, I, I really hate the term softer skills. I don't even quite know what that means. But the uh, basically, of course, we know it translates into the, the insight, the foresight, the leadership, the analytics. And what I'm describing is, is like a superhuman in many ways because uh, when you go back to the supply chain in academia, uh, often many of these topics are, are either not covered or certainly not covered within the accounting education silo to the degree they need to be to keep pace with the ever-changing environment. You know, one of our 
favorite questions that we like to pose to finance leaders is to discover what they believe were the experiences that helped prepare them for a CFO role. And it's interesting. Often one of those experiences they'll share is uh, perhaps related to technical knowledge. But frequently uh, at least two of the three that they might share um, really has nothing to do with technical knowledge. And it's collaboration and it's might have to do with leadership or a mentor who helped, you know, broaden, uh, open their mind to uh, to new skills that they needed to acquire. Um, I want to find out about the IMA in regards to wh- why who's joining today. What are they looking for when they knock on the IMA's door? What are the you know what is it that uh, uh, they want to achieve by joining the IMA today? Sure. Um, that's a that's a great question, and of course, that is at the very heart of uh, you know understanding our, our value proposition, and our customers. And one thing I've learned, whether it's at AT and T, you know, humongous for profit or IMA, a large multinational uh, nonprofit, is you know if you're not serving a customer and serving them in an exemplary manner, uh, you don't have a uh, you don't have a value proposition, right? So profit, uh, you know, for-profit, non-for-profit. But one thing we're finding is that everything we've been talking about so far, Jack, is uh, very much a global phenomenon. Uh, If I were to go back to um, even 2010, uh, 75% of our membership was inside the U.S. Uh, Fast forward to today, and under half of that membership is within the U.S. So, uh, and if you go back to the year 2000, 97% of our membership was inside the U.S. So it went from 97 to 75 to about 46. So this profession of management accounting, uh, you know, complementary part of the profession, if you will, to financial accounting uh, is growing because, in my opinion, business is getting more and more complex, uh, whether it's competition, consolidation, uh, digitization and innovation are occurring at a faster rate than we're able to provide uh, competent individuals to manage all of the disruptions and the opportunities. And so I think the um, reason people are joining IMA, quite frankly, is primarily for the CMA program, Certified Management Accountant Credential, um, because that fuses together all of these uh, technical and business partnering types of skill sets that we've been talking about so that the CFO of the future, which some are beginning to call DFO, Digital Financial Officer, uh, need to achieve and aspire to. Can you share some of the history with us about uh, the CMA credential and, and perhaps how it's evolved over the, over the last 20 years even or longer? Yeah, absolutely. So, Jack, the, uh, the credential was um, – launched in uh, 1972, Um, and uh, by the way, it is the fastest growing accounting credential in the world, so we're very, very proud of that. It it absolutely has evolved, Um, so uh, it it started out probably a little bit more skewed toward cost accounting, uh, but then it evolved into performance management. Um, And when you look at the CMA curriculum today, the 11 bodies of knowledge that are tested uh, it really does fuse together uh, accounting and finance, 
because that is what happens in industry. The, the chief financial officer has accountants working for him or her, and they have finance team, what we call finance team professionals, doing more of the FP&A, you know, the financial planning analysis, the merger and acquisition activities. So our curriculum, uh, we always say, is for accountants who believe they need more finance and for finance professionals who believe they need more accountants. In other words, in the real world of business, there aren't the silos that there are perhaps in, uh, in undergraduate education. Um, and then if you further extend the, uh, the growing need of the CFO and controller in supporting sustainable growth, uh, just recently, we created a specialty certification that sits on top of the CMA called Certified in Strategy and Competitive Analysis. So who would have thought, um, I don't know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that an accounting, quote-unquote, an accounting organization like IMA would be offering a major credential in strategy and competitive analysis? That's because CFOs increasingly are either responsible for strategy or, or significantly driving or influencing strategy in their seat at the table, assuming they have the competency and the skill set behind them. Uh, the strategy and competitive credential. And, again, this was developed on your watch. Is that correct? I think you, you just indicated yeah. it's new. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So, the, the, uh, the, the certified in strategy and competitive analysis was uh, uh, the first uh, group of students, um, including me, by the way, <laughs> took the exam in September um, of this year. And uh, so it, it just got launched to the market uh, literally a few months ago, Jack. So was there – did you, like, convene a board that helped you determine what this uh, new designation or credential would represent uh, in? I mean, how did, how did it work exactly? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, you know, remember, I grew up in a company where, um, you know, we lived, breathed, and, and thought of, about voice of the customer, uh, translating that into a nonprofit, call it member, but it, it really doesn't matter – uh, so absolutely, we conducted uh, numerous uh, focus groups and interviews. We asked the market around the world. We, uh, you know, observed and, and looked at third-party studies. Um, we, of course, have many, many CFOs uh, on our board um, and CFOs that we know, um, uh, you know, in industry around the world, including ones we met uh, just last night at a CFO event. <laughs> um, so very much voice of the market and uh, trying to reflect today's reality, but also prepare for, you know, tomorrow's future. And so, uh, I mean, it, I, I can give you two quick uh, examples uh, in the spirit of, you know, um, uh, storytelling, if you will. Uh, you know, first, my own um, at AT&T, um, I was very much tied into, as a CFO of a strategic business unit, and I'm even going back, you know, a decade plus, uh, so it's dating myself a little bit. But even back then, uh, if you will, I was uh, very much driving the strategy, not just the funding of the strategy, but actually at the table helping to identify new products, new services, new innovations, uh, envisioning a great experience for our customers in a, you know, new integrated environment. And then the other example I'll give is, here at IMA, I mean, yeah, we're a nonprofit, but we're a multinational corporation uh, with, you know, nearly 100,000 members slash customers around the world. Well, guess what? Our CFO 
she not only closes the books, but she's responsible for our technology, for our strategy, and for our operations. And so that all sounds great. What a wonderful opportunity, but competency building uh, and, you know, having the ability to uh, toggle back and forth and hire the right people, ask the right questions are uh, absolutely critical. Is there sort of a uh, sweet spot for the IMA uh, connecting with uh, finance professionals? You, you uh, ideally are looking for someone who's uh, climbed the ladder maybe the first two runs and is reaching for that third. Where, where does the, uh, your membership reside off and the people who, who are joining? Yeah, so our, um, uh, you know, so naturally the spectrum of student uh, young professional, and, you know, I, I like to use the term seasoned professional because I like to think of myself as an old person, but a seasoned professionals. Um, so certainly those first, well, first of all, they're all important, right? But, you know, certainly we do want to influence the student. Um, we have nearly 30,000 student members, um, which is like quadrupled over the course of a few years. And the reason that the undergraduate um, uh, student is so important is because you know, oftentimes they think that um, the only type of accounting is financial accounting and the only career path is with an audit firm, uh, which by the way is a great starting point in your career. Um, you know, I, I coach and mentor a lot of uh, students um, and based on their interests and needs, I often steer them that way if that's where they want to start. Uh, but the reality is that something like 70% of the undergraduate accounting students who start out in a audit firm, big four or down market, within three to five years find their way into industry. And so our goal, whether they start out on the career path at an audit firm, you know, focused on audit tax compliance or you know, ultimately um, decide on another career path, we want to make them aware that there are so many additional exciting career paths in uh, quote-unquote accounting and finance inside industry. Um, and so we've got to change, not change, but create awareness in the hearts and minds of these kids uh, when they, for whatever reason, leave the audit firm and say, wow, you know, I'm going to go and work for Caterpillar or AT&T or IBM or IMA. Uh, we want to make sure they're equipped with the skills and the networks um, to do so. Now, young professionals, you know, as you said, two, three jobs in are a big target. Um, over the last year and a half, we've had two major uh, ad campaigns, um, TV, radio, print, and Forbes and otherwise. Um, and um, we... Uh, we tailor those somewhat to young professionals. So last year we did a kind of a cool tattoo ad. Uh, this year we did what we think and hope is a cool robotics ad, which, you know, of course it could appeal to any age group or, um, or industry vertical, but uh, young professionals are uh, a big, big target for us as well. We'd love for you to provide us with sort of a reality check if we can circle back to the the robot discussion and um, in regards to robotic process automation, whether this really does uh, pose a significant threat uh, to traditional, to the traditional accounting professional career track. 
Yeah, great. That that seems to be the trending question, right, Jack? Um, <laughs> everybody's talking about it and trying to, you know, put some clarity around it. So, uh, and I myself have been uh, self-educating myself and uh, doing a lot of reading and thinking about this topic. So, you know, here's my take. Um, we as a profession can choose to treat this as a dire risk or we can choose to treat this as um, a risk but turn it into a significant opportunity. So what I mean is very simple. Look, automation is happening as we speak, arguably at a faster rate than any consumer or accountant expected. Um, I would argue it's actually a good thing. Um, automation is, you know, obviously could have some short-term pain. Uh, but generally speaking, if the goal of the enterprise is to uh, create efficiencies and serve its shareholders and its customers, it, it actually is a good thing. So it's happening. Uh, RPA is happening, AI, cognitive computing, it's happening. The, probably the, the areas, of course, that are more uh, vulnerable to job displacement or replacement, by definition, are going to be the more routine, repeatable, transaction-oriented types of tasks. So then where does the opportunity side come in? Like how do you, how do you create longer-term opportunity? Well, the theory is that um, by automating the more routine, repeatable, transaction-oriented types of tasks or jobs, that it, quote-unquote, frees up time to add more value to the enterprise. And that's the area that we need to hone in on. What specifically does that mean? And you don't see as much written about that part because that's the hard part. Uh, our, you know, we have a great um, reputable profession, a storied uh, profession, you know, grounded ethics. But agility and change are not necessarily what we're known for. So some of the newer competencies that we need to evolve to very quickly to seize, to kind of snatch opportunity from the jaws of risk, if you will, are, uh, of course, in the area of data. Uh, I realize that um, my advanced degrees are actually in math and statistics and not actually in accounting and finance, so I've got a little bias here. But uh, they are things like data lifecycle, data governance, uh, data query, advanced data analytics, visualization, and storytelling. Those are the competencies, the newer age competencies that uh, we need to develop uh, much more rapidly, much more uh, intensely uh, if we are going to be strategic business partners at the table in this new digital age. You mentioned uh, data. Uh, a number of times already and in our conversations with CFOs, clearly it's sort of uh, the new frontier. So many finance leaders are helping their companies to determine um, what's the type of data uh, that needs to be captured and how to package that data or make it more accessible uh, decision to decision makers across the company. Um, how is the IMA uh, helping um, prepare uh, finance, future finance leaders to take advantage of that data and use that data. Yeah, so so first of all, it, it's important. This is where um, careful understanding and analysis is is really really important, and that this is the this is the opportunity, right? So inside the CMA program and related learnings there there is uh, already an element of data analytics 
uh, simulation analysis, sensitivity analysis, scenario planning, and if you've ever heard the term Monte Carlo simulation, right, all about uh, foresight and insight looking and creating different futures and scenarios. Um, but the real question is, that's all well and good, but, you know, is it fit for purpose um, in, in the digital age that's quickly evolving? So one of the things that's lacking, to answer your question directly, is what does all this digital stuff mean and robots taking over and AI and blah, what does it mean specific to our profession? That's the gap that certainly IMA intends to be a leader in um, as it evolves because you can find uh, Coursera, um, different universities. You can, uh, you can take courses and, and get certificates in big data, data analytics, data mining, business intelligence. But I would argue that at least today the gap is r relatability, relating um, all of those domains, those new age knowledge domains to our profession. For example, uh, do you, I mean, do you need to be a, does every accountant need to uh, immediately become a PhD statistician um, uh, that really understands how to correlate data together? Probably not, but is today's status quo good enough where people kind of run Excel linear regression and kind of blindly or maybe not so blindly, just take the results and run with them. No, the status quo, in my opinion, is unacceptable. Um, so we need to have an ecosystem approach to this challenge um, if our profession is to uh, be, um, I won't say in existence, I don't think, I don't think we're going to go away anytime soon, but I'm almost looking at like a business, a going concern, right? Do you want to have a valuable business proposition in the new age or don't you? Uh, and so this is a great opportunity for the profession and the ecosystem supporting it to step up in these new age competencies. Okay. I want to find out uh, how you uh, – there are other associations. There are other uh, organizations that uh, finance leaders, of course, can join. How do you distinguish what you're up to? It, it is becoming more and more difficult um, in business generally to distinguish yourself, right? It, it, I mean, there's uh, so much is commodity today, right, that um, uh, you differentiate on service, right? So commodity is a product and you differentiate on service. Um, so, look, we're, we're proud of our um, CMA program. Um, we think it's, we know it's the fastest growing, it's reputable, it's reliable. I think what makes IMA different is um, the reputation and respect um, that we have in the profession uh, for our consistency and reliability. Uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, management accounting uh, has come of age in the U.S. Uh, other associations are promoting management accounting, uh, governments around the world are promoting management account accounting. Only in the last five, six, seven years, well, guess what, Jack, IMA is approaching its 100th year anniversary. So I think what makes us a little different, and it's not something we brag about or pat ourselves on the back, but we saw the purpose, organizational benefit, and societal um, public interest benefit of management accounting since 1919. Um, now, 
if you don't leverage that into value uh, for helping people get a job or get a better job and a great career, create stronger organizations, serve society, well, then that's just interesting historical anecdotes. But uh, we're very, very proud of our, um, of our, of our history and how we're leveraging that history. Um, in- Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We're going to be asking Jeff about IMA's offshore expansion. What's the secret? Why is it growing so quickly and locally? What's the best way for finance professionals to get involved with the IMA? After these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. You mentioned those impressive numbers about how uh, the membership has grown uh, offshore. I'm wondering if the weight size of companies that the offshore members represent might be different from inside the U.S., or are they rather similar? Yeah, they they tend to be rather similar, but you know, so we in our so we we are primarily an individual membership organization. Uh, as I said, at about ninety four thousand members globally, and fast approaching one hundred thousand. Uh, but when we look at the uh, you know the organization type, you know structure and all that, we we have a very very nice mix of. You know, small, medium, large, private, nonprofit, public, et cetera. Um, for example, in, in the Middle East, where we serve 13 or so countries, um, you'll tend to find a whole lot more private or family-run businesses. In China, you'll find certainly a fair number of multinational corporations, you know, Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen. Uh, but you'll also find a, uh, find a fair number of SOEs or state-owned enterprises, which are in effect government entities like PetroChina and China Air and things like that. Um, so I think in the aggregate, we're fairly uh, nicely distributed in terms of uh, who we serve, uh, with perhaps some uh, nuances um, nuances across the world. All right, and that um, the the opportunity offshore is one that happened on your uh, during your tenure. It looks, it sounds like I imagine you planned conferences in other parts of the world, and you were able to uh, trigger interest and in, and in grow the membership. I'm sure there's more to it than that, but uh, am I correct? Yeah, no, that's that's basically it. I mean, you know, it's interesting. People hear nonprofit, and they you know they kind of wonder too, what does that mean? Kind of a lazy, you know, not lazy, but sort of laid back and based on, you know, reliant donations. Look, in order for nonprofits to be successful, they've got to run their operation like a business. Uh, you know, there's obviously a societal purpose and mission is first and foremost doing the right thing. 
but everything else, I, I'd say, you know, there's maybe a 10% difference between for-profit and not-for-profit, 90% similarity. So, you know, our approach was, although we've always served members in something like 100 countries, we weren't doing very proactively. We certainly weren't tailoring products and services. I mean, we have a huge operation in China and the reason we're growing is because we've created a complete bilingual experience based on what the market needed. Our exam, our learning system, our magazine, our website, our staff, uh, our ERP, they're all bilingual uh, to serve the needs of that particular audience. So uh, 10 or so years ago, um, we took a very business-like approach. We developed a uh, kind of like a business entry model that, you know, uh, companies around the world, I'm sure, use similar types of things that say, hey, it's almost like uh, the Porter Five Forces, you know, the Michael Porter, what are the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, uh, you know, the Five Forces aspect of, um, you know, ease of entry, barriers to entry, all that kind of stuff. And so that kind of guides the new markets that IMA goes into. Um, I mean, there essentially does have to be a return of some kind, uh, tangible or intangible, but for example, the two newer markets that uh, we expect to have new offices in in the next uh, three to six months are India and and, uh, and possibly parts of the Middle East to complement our offices in, in the U.S., in the Middle East, in Europe, Southeast Asia, and Asia Pacific. So as we uh, near the end of our time with you, Jeff, for those finance professionals who want to learn more about the IMA, uh, is the recommendation that they perhaps uh, reach out to a local chapter or attend maybe a, a local a chapter uh, meeting? Well, sure. I, so we're, we're global and we're local. Um, I hate these local things, and we're, we think global but act local. <laughs> There's all kinds of uh, trite sayings there. To, to me, it's delivery of, of uh, from a global enterprise that tries to deliver services on a local basis, right? So there's advantages of both the global portfolio and, and big picture thinking, but uh, where necessary and where needed kind of, you know, to serve the local needs, which could mean variance in content and whatever. Uh, so absolutely. So there's, uh, you know, global IMA, you know, www.imanet.org. And then, of course, there are, as you said, uh, the local chapters around the world, either student or professional chapters that uh, members can engage in for networking, for learning, for CPE, uh, whether they're uh, CPAs or CMAs. Okay, Jeff Thompson, thank you for joining us on CFO Coffee. Okay, Jack, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.